Welcome to this week's Fit for Purpose podcast. This week we're hearing from a really different business and some different voices in that business. We're hearing from WSP. They're one of the leading engineering and environmental professional services consultancies with a global footprint. Here in the UK alone, they employ almost 7,000 people. And importantly, it's also a company that's genuinely challenging itself on the role it can play on leveling up both inside its own business and becoming more diverse. We'll hear a little bit more about that, but also outside and really thinking through the impact of the many projects it drives um, as a consultancy, how they also either do or don't get the maximum impact on leveling up. So it's a really interesting discussion ahead. And, and we're going to hear from, from two people who are part of that company. The first is Sarah Taylor. She's an associate, um, particularly focused on environment. But the second is Ether Elliott, who's a graduate consultant. Um, but they can probably tell you a lot more about what they do and what their roles mean um, day to day. So, Sarah, I'll come to you first. Tell us, tell us a little bit about what that role as an associate means. And, and, and day to day, what do you actually do in a company <laughs> like WSP? <laughs> Thanks, Justine, and thanks for uh, thanks for inviting us onto the podcast. So, uh, what do I do? Great question. Um, I work within the environmental part of WSP, um, which is a, as you said, large multidisciplinary engineering consultancy. In the environmental part of the business, we cover a massive spectrum of services, uh, from archaeology and heritage, ecology and biodiversity, right through to sustainability and corporate advisory services. Um, Every day is different for me. Um, I work with the leadership team to really try and keep people. I think that's my focus always. It's what I'm passionate about and keep people at the heart of what we're doing. Um, and to do that, we need to keep inclusion front and center of, of everything we do. It is challenging, of course, to drive this kind of change in a large organization. And I think, you know, reflecting on society and globally, the agenda around equity and inclusion is gaining momentum. Um, so it's a really exciting time to be at WSP um, and help drive this change. So yeah, very varied. It sounds saying. like it. Anitha, for your role as a graduate consultant, tell us a little bit about, about your journey into the company, but then obviously what you're focused on now. Yeah, thank you again so much for having us on. Um, so this is my sixth week, I think, as a graduate consultant. <laughs> like you. So yes, I'll try my best to <laughs> synthesize what I've learned so far. So I work within intelligent transport systems, which again involves quite a wide variety of things. Um, but in short, my main role is kind of looking at how we can make transport systems um, work better for everyone using in te intelligent technology, um, whether that's through imp improving journey times, public safety, or making things more accessible um, or more climate resilient. Um, but as well as that, I'm also a diversity and inclusion representative, which allows me to get involved with things like this. So I have a really strong interest in championing for all people to have equal opportunities, kind of regardless of their background, which I think is really important within the engineering sector where perhaps women haven't historically been quite so visible. Um, and I think WSP is really kind of the perfect company to get involved with that. They're really kind of in the way for other organizations I think. Which slightly gets us into in a sense 
the nub of, of what, what we want to talk about today, which is WSP and leveling up. And I mean, first of all, it's brilliant that you're involved with the leveling up goals. I mean, there are a number that really relate to what you do around infrastructure, around environment, around diversity. But from your perspective, perhaps I'll come back to you, Sarah, um, about sort of more strategic level in a way. What do you think leadership means on the leveling up agenda if you're a, a business like um, WSP? Yeah, I mean, simply put, I would say without our people, we aren't a business. Um, it is it is that simple. We're experts, we're innovators, we've got unique and brilliant people. And I really like that the leveling goals focus on take a quite a sort of holistic view on this whole life um, mm -hmm. experience and the key, key areas that can really impact our ability to lead kind of, I guess, fulfilled, fair and happy lives. And they really help us focus that. Um, in terms of what that looks like for us at WSP, well, I think we have an opportunity internally and externally. So looking at that internally first, well, we're working with schools and universities to promote careers in the engineering industry. Obviously, as um, Ava said, women traditionally maybe haven't been um, as represented. So that's something that we're doing a lot of work on. We have apprenticeships. Obviously, we have a long-standing graduate program. Um, and in a few weeks, I'll actually be going out to um, a local school to help year 11 students practice interview skills. Um, we have a dedicated uh, EDI, so equality, diversity and inclusion team. Um, we're obviously like everybody looking at the gender pay gap um, and working to make our business more representative internally. In terms of the external opportunity, what that means for us, well, we have a massive, massive opportunity through partnering with our clients realistically on some of the biggest projects in the world, some of the most exciting projects in the world, um, to really influence the built environment. And that's around equity and inclusion, that's sustainability, carbon re reduction, how we create communities, which I'm sure will come on. So I think it, it's, you know, we it's forefront on our agenda and the levelling up goals really um, connect quite closely with what we're doing as a business um, internally and externally, yeah. I think it's really interesting because, I mean, as you say, there is there has been for a long time an issue around particularly gender and trying to really encourage more women to go into stem and then into those sorts of careers that that you're you know you're obviously both role models um for other people in terms of the the, the path that you've taken but i think what's what is interesting is is the fact that you see it much more broadly than even just what happens inside your company which is which is right i mean you have a big impact externally so I mean, perhaps if I can come to you, uh, Ethan, I mean, obviously you're focused on transport. That's one part of the built environment. Mm -hmm. It's a crucial part. I mean, I've I spent time as Secretary of State for international uh, for transport. I had so many jobs, didn't I? God. Um, <laughs> Secretary of State for transport. And one of the points that I would always make in the department is you literally could have had the best day at work. And if the transport system lets you down going home, you just walk through the door absolutely frazzled and so it is yes. all of these things are such a big part of our lives day to day and from a leveling up perspective tell us what for your from your perspective that built environment piece of it where does that fit into all of this I think in terms of the leveling up agenda I think yeah, as you say, transport is such an in integral part of the whole thing. Um, I think that's that's so true. You know, you come you come home, you could have had the best day at work, <laughs> and you're fr you're frazzled. Um, 
And I think, you know, people don't realise kind of how integral transport is in terms of the whole levelling up agenda and how that kind and in terms of the SDGs as well, which is quite, quite linked to the levelling up agenda. Yeah. Um, transport is really required to kind of link all those different areas together. Um, in terms of transport, it's particularly for marginalised people, for women, for people with disabilities, mental disabilities, physical disabilities. Um, you know, you really need transport to be able to enable people to have access to things like healthcare, um, education, mm. um, and, you know, as a cause and a consequence of itself, you know. Um, so, yeah, we see it in all areas all over the world. Um, and, yeah, it's really, really important part of the sustainable development goals and the levelling up agenda. And how do you end up, end up actually fusing all of that into a project? I mean, practically... Is it part of that process that, that people are going through to sort of ask themselves around inclusivity, for example, when they're designing these sorts of these sorts of bigger infrastructure projects? Yeah, that's a really, really important part of it. And it's actually I think it's really important to raise people's awareness of it themselves. And this sounds really silly, but one of the things that I was involved in as an intern before I came to WSP was a report called the Gender Data Gap. Mm -hmm. which kind of refers to how the built environment is kind of geared more towards historically men and their travel patterns um, and how that kind of helps them have an easier time than women. And really before... <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that, because that's interesting. Yeah. Well, so... how, do, how have men done a... I mean, fair play, I guess, if they're designing it, um, you can kind of see it happens. So, so how have they done a brilliant job of designing the perfect male transport system then? Yeah, well, I'll start off by saying I think it's important to mention that it's not something that's been done intentionally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's something that's kind of just come as a consequence exactly. of um, just these sectors being really heavily male dominated for many, many years. Um, and so what we've had as what we call the reference man more common or today the reference person um the benchmark is kind of around a white male age between typically 20 to 24 years of age around five foot nine um and with a north american or western european lifestyle so for example <laughs> <laughs> very specific um for somewhat example, narrow when you think about the billions of people who live on the planet yeah yeah so we talk about designing for the majority but the thing is today you know that's that's not really the majority anymore mm -hmm. as we see things shift mm -hmm. um so definitely in terms of a, a transport perspective, um, that really caters to men who are, to men being breadwinners essentially. Um, so what we place priority on really is highways, cars, rail, um, things that are gonna help you get quickly from rural areas um, right into the city center. Whereas mm -hmm. women are more likely to go by, for example, bus, they're more likely to do what we call trip chaining, which is maybe they'll go to work, then they'll go and pick up the kids, then they'll go you know, grocery shopping. Um, mm -hmm. And our transport systems aren't really catered to that. Um, but you know what I was going to say previously was before I'd even started looking into this is I, I didn't really think about this. If someone had said to me, do you feel like the, the built environment is not tailored to you? I would have said no. I feel like it's perfectly <laughs> catered to me. So I think it's important as well to kind of raise people's awareness, you know, women's awareness of this as well, because I don't know, for me personally, I, I wouldn't even have thought about it at all. I think it's really important genuinely and I mean I guess uh, there were sort of two things for me certainly as a as a local MP 
um, you know, who had a constituency in London where people do use public transport, you know, if they're commuting, they're, they're generally reliant on, on that. But I mean, firstly, um, had a constituent write to me when the new district line trains were being trialed saying, I can't reach the, <laughs> I can't reach the thing that hangs down as a sort of, you know, yeah. tag for you to grab hold of because I'm not tall enough. And when, when she said how tall she was, I thought, well, that's actually my height too. You know, she wasn't particularly sure, as especially. Um, but it, it was clear that it was done for that average man. Um, and that was too tall, actually, for a lot of my constituents. Um, but I guess on, a, on another level, you know, I was massively campaigned for accessibility. Um, because, you know, again, it's, it's a transport system that's designed for very able-bodied people for the most part, historically. And, and, and that obviously, yeah. if you want an inclusive society, then particularly in a place like London, everyone uses public transport. So everyone's got to be able to literally get on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, a big part of this was was talking to people just, you know, as you've said yourself, and that was something that we got really, really commonly. Um, I can't I can't reach this or I can't <laughs> whatever. Um, and, you know, in so many ways, it's it kind of it leaks into other things, as you mentioned, you know, it's 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 kind of built against gender, but that kind of leaks into disabilities and other things as well. Mm -hmm. um, so things that aren't for example, I think a very good example of this is toilet space, actually. And this mm -hmm. kind of is a really good example of how catering to certain historical roles kind of really impacts everyone. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I guess the no brainer kind of would be to provide equal toilet space for, me for men and women. Mm -hmm. But when we actually look at that, I think everyone or all women can can relate to kind of going to to a public toilet there's a massive line and then you look at the men's toilets yeah, and there's no line there at all um and the issue in that is that it's not there's no equity you know there's there's four for example four or five cubicles in each but the men can also fit a row of urinals in there yeah so the number of people that can use that per per square foot is a lot greater in the men, men's toilets um so we found that with women, um, it didn't consider, first of all, that women take a lot longer in, in the toilets generally because they're more likely to have kids with them. They may have an elderly person with them um, or a disabled person. And then that kind of started to leak into, you know, there's not enough space for disabled people in the toilets. And then also, interestingly, what we got from a lot of men was I sometimes have my daughter or my son with me mm -hmm. and usually baby changing facilities tend to be in the female toilets and that was kind of a real kind of full circle of you know this really doesn't work for anyone if you really really tailor to these specific roles of people and I guess I mean so well yes I can again totally relate to it you know worked for a long time in the house of commons and you can imagine how many female loos there were there by comparison to the gents I mean it was obviously a place that historically had very few women MPs in it and was built for that world. But I guess, Sarah, you know, for, for that more um, strategic mindset that a company like WSP needs to have, how do you sort of marry all of that up? Because fundamentally, you know, Eva's been talking about all of that thought process that goes into design. But also, if you like, the evidence base through um, that gender data project that you've built behind that to really inform it. 
doing that stuff doesn't just happen, does it? it it's it's about being a company that already has decided that this is important. I, I, I presume I'm right on that. Absolutely. And I think um, just as you were both talking, and I was kind of thinking, you know, and this is really where the difference between sort of equity and equality comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really important one. And I think um, the narrative around this has really changed. You know, we've been talking about equality, which is offering everyone the same opportunity, mm-hmm. which is fine. But as you, you know, both sort of alluded to there, you know, here's a but that doesn't infer access, does it? You know, that's that's the difference. Equity mm-hmm. is making the adjustments to be able to offer everybody the same opportunity. And I think that's really what our conversation is about here is that inclusion is, it, it benefits everyone, okay? You know, and a lot of the things we're talking about today are sort of gender specific, but will have much, much wider benefits. Um, so you're absolutely right. This is about taking a really positive and quite a strong stance as a company that this is something we really want to hang our hats on. This is something we believe in, and this is something that has the opportunity to level the playing field, um, so to speak, a little bit earlier on. And that's that's why it's so important to be involved early in, in these kind of projects and in these schemes, because it's really, really difficult. And it's possibly, I would argue, not the right mindset to try and kind of retrospectively try mm. and be inclusive. Mm-hmm. What we really want to encourage is this is proactive and that inclusive design becomes the norm rather than going, oh, this is just a compliance issue. I just need to tick these boxes yeah. and my project will be X percentage compliant. Well, of course, you know, yes, OK, that, you know, you will be compliant. But, you know, how compliant, you know, who's measuring this? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to be honest, irrespective of whatever your motivation is, Um, for doing this if it is compliance you will reap the benefits anyway because most inclusive design concepts they're just good design you know broadening our perspective avoiding these assumptions taking into consideration lots of other people's needs and experiences these are actually just good practice um, and they don't just benefit uh, just benefit women so I think um, sorry Justin carry on I'm 100% on that I really am sorry Sarah you were going to continue yeah, so I think you were, I was just going to say it's just it's just that bigger it's that bigger picture um, and not just approaching this as a compliance exercise um, and realizing that this there is a much sort of broader benefit here and it is just good practice really. Yeah, and what's interesting is it's not obviously a lot of the people who benefit you know in this case as we've talked about is you know tilting it towards reflecting a society where women are playing an equal role in reality mm-hmm. in a way that maybe we didn't 50 years plus ago yeah. but I think I think it's also about you know reflecting the fact that 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 will continue to change and so the point that Ethan made on you know men thinking well hang on a minute if I'm out with my kids and I need to get the nappy change then, yeah. then I need some space in my toilets where I'm going to go it's a much broader concept isn't it than just looking at one element of it um which is around women and gender and I think what the other thing that's really I just think there's so much of this that a really matters and b is really um really interesting it's this sense of in a weird way if your experience of a built environment is that it, it seems to be all about blokes then you're probably not growing up feeling like it's something that you're meant to be part of as a woman yeah. um but also it's this classic thing where actually it's the other reason why we you need to get more women into these roles and into engineering and and through all those STEM pathways because actually 
I'm sure a lot of men can and do and will be doing a brilliant job on thinking through some really creative solutions. But actually, fundamentally, clearly, women are going to have a key role to play in working out how you create a built environment that is more accessible for more women um, and ditto for as you say for for other groups you know for example people who are, have all sorts of disabilities you know they're probably best place to craft the solutions for themselves aren't they yeah and I would say that um, you touched on something there which is around this kind of what I would sort of talk about as the kind of direct and indirect consequence of non-inclusive spaces mm -hmm. and accessibility which is you know let's take a park or a green space as an example mm -hmm. you know you've got obviously the direct experience of going and enjoying that space you know whether it's you know alone with friends maybe to play sport take your children and the associated sort of um you know benefits that go with that the indirect consequence of not being able to access that isn't just that you don't get to go and enjoy the park but you also don't reap the benefits in terms of health and well-being either mm -hmm. um there's also a kind of wider narrative of you miss out on the conversation afterwards and you could use, you know, accessibility is so broad, but you could use, you know, a TV show as, a, as, a, as an easier example to say, you know, oh, X shows on TV, but there's no subtitles. Everybody watches the show. Everybody talks about it afterwards. It's a connection point. It's something to, mm -hmm. to socialize over. If you can't watch that, not only are you not seeing it and enjoying the experience of watching that program, you're also not able to have the conversations afterwards. So this is actually really quite far reaching. And if you, you know, talk about that on a travel perspective, that's missing out on employment opportunities. And, mm. you know, you mentioned London and I now live in Bristol and I did live in London for a few years and I was blown away coming from a rural background of, you know, the infrastructure there. I think it's incredible only 84 of the 270 tube stations in London are deemed as fully accessible as of mm -hmm. August this year. So that's, you know, that's actually like, I think it's about a third. It's, it's not great, is it? And I think if you're then missing out on, you know, employment, social, potentially socialization, um, isolation comes into that, you might be spending more money. Mm -hmm. So you're already at a disadvantage already before anything else, if you simply can't access space um, and appropriate travel and infrastructure yeah and certainly from my perspective one of the reasons we and I did loads on on um, accessibility to public transport was because right at the beginning of my time um, I, I was just campaigning locally and and rather than do a petition I thought you know why don't I actually find out what's top people's agenda on on the district line it's a big part of everyone's life we all use it every day and so I'd sort of said you know what is it is it that it needs to be faster is it reliability um is it affordability and then there was a bit on the bottom of this thing this survey where you could just like say anything else of course what was really interesting is people like yeah 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 none of that just enough. I find it hard to get on the tube and I'd like a lift and so what you got were all these, um, a lot of women, a lot of elderly people, and people who just were lugging around big laptop cases or, you know, um, they were they were heading off and they got suitcases, just all saying, actually, to be honest, it's really hard getting down the stairs and, you know, for all sorts of reasons. And so the reason, so I completely changed in a sense what I was going to focus on because of people saying it was literally just getting on the tube that was, and off it that was one of one of the biggest issues and I think it's maybe interesting to to hear from 
from Ether on this issue of engagement, how you get people really engaged to be able to give you that, that feedback in a sense, both externally to WSP, but then internally. You know, you, you talked about working in schools and, and, and all of that. What What's your experience of almost the right way to then bring this issue alive to people so that actually you do get a range of people thinking, this is the kind of career maybe where I can have an impact on something that really matters to everybody day to day. Yeah, it's a really good point. You know, you don't know what, what you don't know, I suppose, until you mm. ask people. Mm. Um, and I always remember speaking to an architect whenever I started at WSP, um, you know, kind of talking about how sometimes you'd be designing for maybe somebody who's visually impaired. Um, and people would almost be afraid to ask, what do you need? They wouldn't want to be offensive, but you can't, you know, you can't assume you have to engage. It's really, really important to fully understand. So I think kind of going back to what I was saying before, I think it's for some people, at least, um, raising awareness of the issue. As I said myself, there's some things which are glaringly obvious to me now, which I wouldn't even have thought thought about before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, using using th um, platforms such as even LinkedIn um, to kind of raise awareness of of things like this. You know, I conducted a report on this um, on the gender data gap, which was you know, LinkedIn was a really really valuable tool for mm -hmm. um, kind of getting the word out there and raising awareness on this. Um, you know, even just word of mouth in in the office, you know, really important within um, an organization such as this, where things tend to have been done a certain way for a long time, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, you know, when you raise awareness, kind of people come forward. And then, you know, for people who really experience these these, these issues, um, they, they will happily come forward, of course. Um, a lot of whenever we surveyed people for our report, um, a lot of the responses we got were for were from people from who had experienced issues. Mm -hmm. um, there were very very few responses of people saying, you know, I I have no issues in the built environment. It's all it all cures very well to me. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think reaching out to people using platforms such as LinkedIn um, really really valuable for gaining people's um, experiences. And Sarah, you've obviously been at WSP a lot longer than than Anita but what's your experience of you know you, you talked about being in schools and mm. mentoring what's your experience of if you like people's reaction to this kind of a discussion and debate about the views and inclusivity I think that um Aoife made a really good point at the start which is you know a lot of inclusion issues stem from the lack of understanding and maybe some complacency mm -hmm. being completely honest rather than an intentional plan yeah. to discriminate a group so I think it's actually really important yes we need to be challenging discrimination yes we need to challenge prejudice but we need to move past the narrative of like if you're aware of this you're a good person if you're not aware of this you're a bad person this is mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. focusing on the common ground and making a conversation um not everybody knows everything that's completely normal that's fine that's as it well should be but the good news is if you have representation and you engage you don't need to know everything because you will have voices at the table so I think overall people are positive this is a subject that is obviously growing momentum everywhere um, but I do think there's a lot of lessons we can learn from how we approach this conversation um, making sure we're kind of not telling people off this is about a journey we're not all the way along that yet as a company and, and no one is um we're never going to get everything we want 
to design onto projects that's just the reality you know there are always mm-hmm. budget constraints there's always mm-hmm. pr- you know the practicalities of life put it that way but having conversations with our clients having conversations with each other keeping inclusion on the agenda that is also part of the change you know so when we don't necessarily go oh, we didn't quite get that project design how we want it we haven't lost anything we should be celebrating the conversations that we're having and keeping this at the forefront so I think it's overall it's very positive um and definitely it's about um, it's about a conversation, yeah. But it sounds to me, effectively, your message is, well, there's, there's, there are lots of things that come out of this discussion, but it fundamentally is, it's infrastructure for a reason, isn't it? And that reason is connecting people up with opportunities. It's about enabling them to get on with the lives they have and recognizing that it's different people now and their lives run differently and that's gonna continue to change to change over time but I think what's fascinating is how you sort of take this um, diversity and inclusion point within the company to say that these two things go hand in hand and it's not like you're making a choice about doing the right thing or doing the smart thing actually you know you you probably don't build the build environment very often in a particular place so it's about getting it right for everyone who's there not just not just most people it goes back to Ethos point on you know we used to build just for the majority and I think I think it's fascinating this concept of now recognizing that's probably not that's not enough in, anymore, is it, Ethan? No, definitely not. Um, and you know, one of the things that we really look at within WSP, which I think is really sets us apart as well, is we have something called Future Ready, which is an initiative to ensure that we design um, for climate resilience, but also for for society. Um, and, you know, when I was an intern, I got a really good kind of insight into this about how we're going to have, we have an increasingly aging population, um, even increased loneliness, increased mental disabilities, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of things which you wouldn't really know about or think about unless you had researched it or spoke to people. So it's, it's changing very rapidly. And yeah, it's really, really important um to consider it now rather than to have to kind of go back in the future and try to accommodate everyone it's it's easier to do it as you're designing as we're talking about it now and obviously we're just coming out of well we're hopefully coming out of but still challenges on covid but this sense of a new normal presumably that also either that also now needs to get fused into the thinking doesn't it this sense that lifestyles are changing we're not quite sure how but but we have a sense of almost um trajectories on homeworking for example sped up and does that have a big impact on on what you're looking at as well yes I remember yeah that that did come into it and it's unfortunately one of those things um I actually have been talking about that (laughs) earlier today um but you know it's it's difficult to understand how to how to predict how things are going to unfold um presumably um, hybrid working will become the norm. Um, but of course, then that, that affects everything, that, that affects transport, that affects, um, you know, emissions, um, you know, and is it going to be the norm to kind of, to have office buildings? That's a big part of the infrastructure. Is that going to be, you know, it's, it's really difficult to kind of predict how, so it's a big consideration, but it's, I actually think it's one of those, it's almost, you kind of have to see how it unfolds. Yeah. Um, it's still such uncertain times. Um, so yeah, it's definitely something to be considered. And final couple of questions to both of you. I mean, obviously, um, 
you know, you've both spoken brilliantly actually about about just the ability of a business like WSP to really genuinely frame lives to be successful um, in all sorts of really practical ways. And, and actually, you know, people often talk about, you know, pavement politics and this sense of fundamentally, it's about what happens to us when we step out of our doors. And, and, and you know, WSP is a big part of, of shaping that agenda, but you're both clearly you know, driven on it as well. Sarah, from your perspective, if you've got a sense of purpose yourself, where does that come from? Tell us a little bit about, you know, the journey that you had into WSP and, and this role you had now. Wow. Um, so I think I'm possibly a little bit unusual in the fact that I don't come from an academic background. Um, I felt like a bit of an imposter, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Having no degree, I've worked in pretty prestigious, um, very degree-led businesses, and I don't think WSP is is wildly different. Um, and I actually joined in a secretarial role. Um, I've been with the business for about 10 years. Um, and I don't know that I was a very good secretary because I ended <laughs> up doing something completely different. Um and I think but that is opportunity in itself and I was given opportunity um, and I had a lot of really amazing role models, um, you know, men and women who helped me steer the direction, you know, where I was going to go and gave me the opportunity. So I think I'm very passionate about that personally because I've been I've had that experience myself Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it makes you realize you know the value of those unique experiences, life and vocational experience that are really, really important. in terms of my purpose, honestly, it's going to sound really cheesy, but I just think the world needs to be fairer and it isn't at the moment. And these are, and you've you've kind of hit the nail on the head, Justine, which is these are deliberate, purposeful decisions we can make. Um, and I think that's that's my motivation. There is space for everyone to succeed in this world. I do, I, I genuinely believe that there are decisions we can make as people with privilege, as people who can influence the built environment to improve things for other people. And that's what we should be doing. Brilliant. I'm with you on that purpose. (laughs) I think you've nailed it, Sarah. Um, How about you? Your your journey, obviously, early on in your own career, but did you you start off wanting to go into some kind of business like WSP and, and infrastructure? Or what were you aiming to do when you were sort of going through school? Is this what you had in mind? Yeah, so I did my my undergraduate degree was in geography and geology, um, and I developed kind of um, a, an interest in sustainability, which is kind of mm-hmm. the cliche. I had the the cliche view in sustainability, which is sustainability means green. Um, you know, not not much of an understanding of sustainable sustainable development at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of yeah, I was I was looking at places like WSP in terms of. Um, climate resilient infrastructure I suppose is what I was aiming for Um, and then whenever I came into my master's it was um, based on the sustainable development goals so Mm -hmm. again kind of linking into the leveling up agenda Um, and that really kind of broadened my understanding of sustainability is it's not just green it's not just being climate resilient and offsetting emissions of course that's a big part of it but we have to make these we have to make this infrastructure work for the communities and foster the communities yeah, and you know have a purpose um and you know i mentioned previously i was an intern here as part of my masters and that really gave me a really really good insight into kind of this whole holistic view um of those kind of two areas of sustainability um 
and that's kind of just equally as important you know fostering the communities there's no point in having fantastic um, climate resilient infrastructure if it doesn't foster the communities that it's there to serve so I think yeah I've come into such a great a great company I love I always loved that WSP really put that focus on climate resilience but also building for communities um, and allowing them to develop um, in the future um, and so that is kind of my purpose within the company just aligns completely with what exactly what I wanted to achieve in my career and that's what I want going forward. Well look it's been fantastic talking to to both of you today I think I think it's really thought-provoking um, just in relation to on so many different levels I mean there was one around just inclusivity and a whole community approach on life frankly um, but the second point really towards the end was just this sense of and, you know, and I was part of developing the sustainable development goals. I was development secretary, another role that I guess I, <laughs> I did manage to get through them somehow. Um, but, you know, it's this sense of the debate around people and planet and somehow them being in the past in opposition to one another, but not necessarily needing to be in the future and nailing that being really important. Because if you can, it means you can make sure that as Sarah was saying, that there is enough space for everyone to succeed. But if you can't, then that becomes a lot harder. But you know, it's 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 the it's the tough, nutty, these are these are the actual real issues, aren't they? That I guess companies like yours are focused on working at how you go beyond, if you like, the concept and the rhetoric to to how you actually how you actually deliver it. At any rate, Sarah Taylor and and Aoife, uh, Elliot, it's been fantastic having you on the podcast. Um, great that WSP is part of all of this um, leveling up goals work we're doing. Really, really value all of your work, but also your insight into it as well. So many, many thanks. Thanks, Justine. Thank you so much. <laughs>